1: Haha, and welcome to Against the Match Wrestling Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts,
0: the Kentucky Guy. And I'm your other co-host, Donnie Cage. Mr. Cage, Mr. Cage, how was your week, sir? Our week was great, Kentucky Guy. How about yourself?
1: Ah, pretty good. I tell you, it's been extremely hot here in the beautiful state of Kentucky, but it's also been rainy, too, so not a great mix for the summer. Uh, folks, if this is your first time listening to the show, be sure to hit that follow or subscribe button, no matter which platform you're listening to us from. Also, hit the notification button so you know every time we upload a new episode, we are on Spotify, Apple iTunes, Amazon Music, Pandora, iHeartRadio, and the list goes on. Also, for you, for those of you that like other podcasts, Besides just wrestling show, this wrestling show, Mister Cage also co-hosts another show. Tell them about Uncaged Voice, sir.
0: Yes, if you'd like to listen to a podcast about uh, gaming, uh, movie news, all sorts of entertainment-related topics, you can check out the Uncaged Voice podcast on YouTube, hosted by myself, Jigsaw Jester, and top tier rated. Also, if you like to stay up on current events, politics.
1: Crazy news in this big, beautiful country of ours and around the world. Also, interesting interviews. I do host the Red Pill Current News Podcast. We do drop a couple episodes every week. And uh, also here, we drop new episodes every Tuesday and Saturday here on Against the Mat Wrestling Podcast. If you'd ever like to be a guest on this show or have any questions for Mr. Cage or myself, you can always email us at ol kentucky99 at yahoo.com oh kentucky99 at yahoo.com uh let's see also in the description below of every podcast every single podcast uh there is our links to our social media merch shop website all that good stuff so be sure to check that out as well all right folks so we're going to go ahead and get started in today we're going to do something that uh We normally do on Saturdays, but we haven't done the last couple because there's been so many pay-per-views and live events going on. And that is My Fantasy Booking.
0: Now it is time for our fantasy booking segment on Against the Matt Wrestling Podcast.
1: Alright folks, so basically what this is is My Fantasy Booking segment of the show something Mr. Cage come up with last year that a lot of you love. Me and myself, it's one of my favorite segments when we can get to it. Basically, we pick a wrestler uh, from the past, or it could be a current wrestler, and we talk about if we were the booker or creative, how in a certain promotion we would have, or how the company could have done things better to, to solidify that person's career or, even if they're a superstar, to make them an even bigger superstar in a certain company. So, And that company could be ECW, WCW, WWE. It could be any of them. Ring of Honor, you, you name it. But, uh, as always, Mr. Cage, I'll let you go ahead and start this segment off, sir.
0: Thank you, Kentucky Guy. Well, my fantasy booking for this week is none other than a man by the name of Christopher Joseph Park. Everybody remembers this guy, right? Well, to t- tell you a little bit about him, he is currently signed to WWE as a backstage producer. So a lot of the matches that you see on television are, in fact, uh, doing, in fact, involve some sort of involvement from him. Um, but he is most known for working for Impact TNA Wrestling under the ring name The Monster Abyss. And this guy got his start. In TNA, almost from the very beginning, back in 2002. And he won won quite a bit of championships during his time there. Just to give you a little rundown, he was a TNA X Division champion. He was an NWA World Tag Team Champion alongside AJ Styles. A two-time TNA World Tag Team Champion with uh, James Storm and Crazy Steve. That was when he was a part of the DK stable. He was a two time TNA television champion, and he also was a one time NWA World Heavyweight Champion. Now, those of you who ever watched TNA or Impact Wrestling know that Abyss was a big part of programming there for many, many years. Um, And to me, while he was utilized pretty well overall in his career, I think there's a couple of points where they just. Didn't book him correctly, and in my opinion, could have just done a better job. If you remember, in November of 2006, he faced Sting at the Genesis pay-per-view, and that's where he beat Sting to become the NWA World Heavyweight Champion. However, my issue with this victory is that he ended up winning the match by disqualification. This was at a time when the title could still change hands via disqualification. Why would you do that? Why would you not just book Abyss to defeat Sting in the middle of the ring, one, two, three, with a pinfall? It would have been a much stronger statement for him to beat an icon like Sting for the title by pinning him because he only ended up holding the world title for two months anyway because it was at a, uh, it was at a three-way match at the, res- the final resolution pay-per-view in January that Christian Cage ended up winning the world title. And Abyss's feud with Sting would actually carry on for a couple more months. They would have a prison yard match at Against All Odds. They would have a last rights match at Destination X. Think about how many more, how much more stakes you would have had. How much more invested you would have been in this feud if it was for the title. And not just a singles match with, uh, with a special stipulation. Eventually, Abyss would actually break away from Christian Cage's stable... And he would go off on his own, and he would actually team up with Sting in a feud with Christian Cage, AJ Styles, and Tomko. Um, But yeah, I mean, this is just one example of how TNA could have booked him to look a lot stronger. I mean, just think about his name. It's the Monster Abyss. And there are definitely many other examples I can give, but that's just one example of where TNA could have done a better job booking him. And honestly, he's one of those wrestlers... While TNA was uh, was at their absolute peak, I remember thinking to myself, man, I would love to see this guy in WWE. Just think of some of the feuds he could have there. Ultimately, it it didn't end up happening. We never saw Abyss join WWE during his wrestling career as an active performer, which was a huge injustice. But nonetheless, like I said... A really good worker, a guy who cemented his legacy in Impact Wrestling. And it's just a shame they couldn't have booked him a little bit stronger at times. And it's a shame that WWE couldn't have uh, acquired him. Your thoughts, Kentucky guy? You know, I, I agree.
1: Uh, I think that's a great pick. I love the Abyss. Um, always like this character. My dream match was him versus Mankind of the WWF. I, I think that match would have been ever since he fought in this match called the monster's ball against Raven. And I swear the whole time I'm watching that match, that pay-per-view, I'm sitting there thinking, man, that should be mankind in the abyss going at it. For some reason, I just think they would have put on a heck of a show. And the like you said, their booking was kind of off because McFoley was actually on TNA for a while when Abyss was there. And instead of doing anything, uh, anything towards that, they had him become like Hulk Hogan's lackey. Hulk Hogan gave him his hall of fame ring. And, uh, I don't know. I just, you know, anytime they bring Hulk Hogan and Eric Bischoff into the mix, that's when you start losing your audience. And, uh, You would think TNA would have learned that from WCW. But, yeah, anyways, good pick this episode. I like the Abyss. Uh, You're absolutely right. If uh, I always wanted to see him come to WWE, uh, I could have, you know, you know, Mankind's just won. The Undertaker, that would have been awesome. The uh, Kane. I mean, there's so many matches that he could have went in against uh, some of these guys. It would have just been, it would have been awesome. So, good pick, man. Uh, My fantasy booking pick for this episode is Robert Keith Orton Jr. But you're going to know him better as Cowboy Bob Orton, which is Randy Orton's, the Vipers' daddy. So Orton trained with Hiro Masuda after he dropped out of college at the age of 22. He made his debut uh, in that promotion. And you may be in, in, the, in the promotion Championship Wrestling from Florida in 1972 with the ring name of Young Mr. Wrestling, uh, wrestling in incidents with his father, Bob Orton Sr., who he actually won the tag team titles within that promotion. So you may be saying, well, we know Bob, you know, Cowboy Bob had a heck of a career. You know, how, how could you book him different? Well, there's one company that maybe a lot of you don't even know that he wrestled for that once again dropped the ball. And that company is no longer in business, so I'm sure you all can guess who they are. All right. But let's go over just a couple things before we get there. He then went to Vern Goslin's American Wrestling Association in 76 and 78. And a large portion, he was under the tutelage. And learning the game from the none under his manager at that time, Bobby the Brain Heenan. So, his dad was a wrestler. He was born and raised around it. And then he was trained under Hero, a uh, famous wrestler. And then managed by another famous manager, Bobby Heenan. He then went to the WWF, where he spent uh, 1984... Uh, through 87, he was there in 89, and 90 as well. He also returned to the WWE in 2005 and 2006 when he was inducted into the Hall of Fame. Now, during his tenure, he actually won, and I I didn't know this, he actually had won 11 world titles in his tenure, not in the WWE, he won tag team titles there, but in other promotions. Actually, he won 11 world titles in eight different promotions. Seven, he was a seven-time tag team champion and a four-time television champion. Now, let's talk about the company that dropped the ball. In 1989, for some odd reason, Bob Orton, Cowboy Bob, Went to WCW. This is in 89. Remember, he came back to the WWE at the end of 89 and worked 89, 90. I mean, he was not at the end of his career. He had five matches in WCW before he left. Five matches. He wasn't even there a year. And the reason why is because... They booked him to lose against Dick Murdoch, who he had a heck of a feud with in WWF that he actually beat all over the place. They also had him lose to Don Morocco, who he had a history of beating Don and Mr. Fuji uh, during his WWF tenure. So once again, uh, WCW, and this is during your your Bischoff days, young Bischoff days, just did not know what they had or they didn't know how to book him. You cannot take a guy that has won 11 world titles, bring him to your promotion. Okay, you even if you want to say, well, he was on the back, back leg of his years, of his career, okay, you still can't sign him up for... His first five matches, only five matches, to lose. To lose. So once again, this is just proof and why WCW is no longer with us. It started a long time ago, folks, way before the NWO. Started a long time ago. Mismanagement. Same thing with ECW. Your
0: thoughts, sir? Yeah, I mean, Bob Wharton had a, uh, had a storied career in a lot of different promotions particularly the NWA and WWF, and, you know, WCW bringing them in for that brief period, only to barely utilize them, just goes to show you that at the time, they didn't really know who their true talents were, it's, I mean, they were going through a transitional period in 1989, they were switching from being Jim Crockett Promotions to being World Championship Wrestling under uh, Ted Turner's company. And there were a lot of guys put in charge of creative who didn't know anything about wrestling. Probably had never seen someone like Bob Orton in the ring before. So I'm not 100% shocked that WCW didn't utilize him better during his time period. um, Because everybody knows he was a reliable hand and should have been utilized better. Fortunately, he still had a storied career with the NWA earlier in the decade and with the WWF. Um, and would go on to do other things in other promotions after WCW. So, you know, good pick, uh, for sure. And definitely he has quite a legacy in the business now, but WCW man, at that point in time, they were in a transition and a lot of guys, they dropped the ball with.
1: Yeah. And also, uh, I failed to mention new Japan pro wrestling. He was the, uh, IWCP world champion there as well. So, yeah, so, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I don't know. I, I just, I think, and I think this may be one reason why Randy Orton, you can pretty much say Randy Orton is homegrown WWE because he's not wrestled anywhere else. He didn't come from the indie circuit. He didn't wrestle in ring of honor. He didn't, he didn't do any of that stuff. He come up a different way. And of course, I mean, he's legacy, right? So, uh, But that's why he probably never left the WWE even when things got bad Randy Orton has not always had a dream career and always had a great relationship with Vince McMahon over the years so but it makes more sense after I did this this uh, Final Fantasy booking of his father of why Randy Orton has actually stayed and never left WWE makes sense now okay so let's get into uh, let's get into a little bit of a uh, raw results. Okay. One, two,
0: three,
1: Seth Rollins kicked off raw uh, this week on the heels of his successful world heavyweight title defense against Finn Balor at Money in the Bank, Uh, Rollins was in the ring, and he he was pondering, kind of asking the crowd, what's next ahead of SummerSlam, which is uh, actually next month in August. But he was interrupted rudely by Cody Rhodes. However, Cody Rhodes didn't get to say one little word before none other than, be careful what you ask for, Cody before Brock Lesnar's music hit. Brock Lesnar has been absent since defeating Rhodes in May, uh, tying their series one apiece. Uh, A brawl broke out and concluded with Rhodes hitting, a Cody Cutter sending Lesnar into retreat. I don't know if you would say that. It sent him to the outside. I I don't know, but uh, we know how this match goes. We know the beatdown that Cody gets, so... Yeah, you can make him look tough all you want to, but we know Brock Lesnar is not going to sell Cody beating him in an actual match. Uh, Rollins then returned to the ring once uh, everything settled down. And then he he was kind of mulling who he would defend his title against next. He was interrupted once again. Boom, the Judgment Day. Without Finn uh, Finn Balor which was kind of surprising. Uh, Priest stood with his newly claimed Money in the Bank briefcase in hand. Uh, the accessory guarantees Priest a title shot at a time and place of his choosing without warning. A match between Rollins and Dominique was agreed upon, uh, with Rollins noting it was likely a trap. <laughs> and he did go on to defeat uh, Dominic Mysterio, via disqualification after Priest ran in, hit Rollins with the south of heaven. Priest launched a vicious assault uh, on Rollins post-match, teasing that he may cash in the Money in the Bank briefcase. However, moments before he could cash in, Finn Balor hit the ring to beat down the champ. And then once again, here's more cracks, an argument between Balor and Priest as Mysterio tried to keep the peace. Rollins used the opportunity to plant material with a pedigree ringside, and this was at the closing. Uh, raw close with Baylor and Priest still arguing and going at it. Your thoughts on that segment, sir? I thought that was very interesting.
0: So a lot to unpack here. Let me uh, break break it down uh, break it down first. So we know that the rubber match is coming between Cody Rhodes and Brock Lesnar. So we figured. If Brock was going to be on Raw, there was going to be some sort of knockdown, dragout brawl between him and Cody. So we got that, and uh, this time Cody sort of got the upper hand. But we both know that you know if you have the upper hand on Brock Lesnar right now, you're you're not going to have it for long. So Brock is probably going to be back in a week or two. He's going to beat Cody down like a bad habit, and they're going to make the uh, the match official for SummerSlam. And I do hope that's that's the end of it because it is time for both of these guys to move on to a new feud. You know, I like both wrestlers individually and I'm glad we've had a chance to see them wrestle, but now we got to move on to new things for both of them. Um, I really kind of wish the Seth Rollins segment wasn't even combined with the Brock Lesnar or Cody Rhodes segment. Just give Seth his own segment with judgment day. He's the champ. He's coming out to address his title defense you don't need to break that up into two separate segments. Just start the show off with Seth Rollins and make Cody and Brock their own separate thing. Um, but as far as the you know how Raw ended with Cody, uh, you know with uh, Seth Rollins and Judgment Day, first of all, Dominic Mysterio once again proves that he can't hang with the big boys. This is Seth freaking Rollins we're talking about. Of course, Dominic needs help to try to beat him, and ultimately, Seth wins by disqualification. So. But still, we are seeing some very interesting developments in the, Judgment Day, uh, in the Judgment Day saga with Damian Priest and Finn Bauer. I'm telling you, Kentucky guy, it is only a matter of time before these two come to blows and they have a match, possibly a match to determine who's the real de facto leader of Judgment Day and who's going to be kicked out of the group permanently. They're on a collision course for that. It's going to happen. Uh, but I am really curious to see who Seth is going to go up against at SummerSlam, whether it's going to be Damian Priest or whether it's going to be somebody else.
1: I'm kind of thinking that they're just going to kick somebody out of the group and they're going to bring somebody in, kind of like what they did with Ed. I don't know. I cannot see them. I've see, I've heard rumors of this group's this faction splitting up. I, I don't see that, at least not right now. They're too hot. And uh, say what you want to about Dominic Mysterio. Anytime that you grab a microphone and you can't talk because the crowd's booing you or cheering you. Booing and cheering. Booing is just like cheering if you're in an Hill. And they're booing, booing you so bad that you can't get a word out. You're over. So you can say you can't hang with the big boys all you want to. He's over he's over and he's probably the hottest heel out there right now. He's got a lot of momentum going for him. He's even hotter right now than the United States champion Austin Theory. So Austin Theory. So Okay, so daring roll, let's get back to the middle of Raw now. We had Damian Priest uh, go up against one of his Money in the Bank opponents, Shinsei Nakamura, and Priest actually defeated Nakamura straight up via pinfall. And then we had Shayna Baszler and Ronda Rousey. They brought after an emotionally tense argument between the former friends. Shayna Baszler saying she got Ronda in the wrestling. Ronda didn't have to do anything. Of course she didn't, Shayna, because she's, she was a champion in UFC for how long? We're talking about the baddest woman in the planet. Of course she didn't have to come through everything and jump through hoops like you did. That that argument there made zero sense to me. Of course, she's going to be headlining WrestleMania and winning titles, and you're not. You weren't a champion in UFC. You had a decent record, but you weren't champion.
0: Grow up. Your thoughts on those two segments? Solid match between uh, Damian Priest and Shinsuke Nakamura. I hope that Shinsuke is not like is not now not going to get a push at all because he didn't win. Much. Money in the Bank because he's been booked to look pretty strong in the last couple of months, so I hope that he's not going to like slip that far down the ladder. Honestly, I'd love to see a match between him and Gunther. I think that would be a, a really good uh, showdown there. But again, uh, Damian Priest is Mr. Money in the Bank, and WWE, this is what you need to do with your Money in the Bank winner. They have to rack up wins. This can't be like they win the briefcase and then they just go on this massive losing streak. ...before they miraculously cash in the briefcase. You have to make your briefcase holder look strong. So I'm happy, I'm happy about that whole outcome there. Um, you know, Ronda and Shayna Baszler both make some interesting points, I think. You know, Shayna, let, let's face it, has paid her dues in the wrestling business. She went all through NXT, was a multiple-time NXT women's champion. You know, she's been a, a women's tag team champion. She definitely has earned her stripes in wrestling... But there is no question that Ronda Rousey, long before she joined wrestling, already had that notoriety. She was a a UFC champion. There is no question that when she came into WWE, she was automatically going to get that treatment, that star treatment, right from the very beginning. So both of them, I think, made good points in this segment. I liked the brawl. Um, I'm really excited to to see these two square off.
1: So (coughs) the next match was actually a Gauntlet match to crown a number one contender for the WWE Women's Tag Team Championship. This match here, I've got to be honest, I'm still kind of like, huh? At the outcome. So let's just go right down the line. Chelsea Green and Sonya Deville, first they defeated Candice LeRae and Indy Hartwell. Defeated them straight up. Then. They defeated. Dana Brooke and Tegan Knox. And now these are. We're talking about Chelsea Green and Sonia Deville. These two. Couldn't win a match. Against anyone. A week ago. They have lost. Every single match. But in this gauntlet match. They then took on Emma. And Nikki Cross. And beat them. And then or I'm sorry, yeah, no, Emma and Nikki Cross, and beat them. Then Katina, Chance, and Caden Carter took them on and beat them. What? Now they're the number one contenders for the Women's Tag Team Championship. Are we doing this? Is this real? I mean, it's bad enough you have Liv Morgan and Raquel Rodriguez uh, champions again, but... Are we really going to do this again to these titles? Don't get me wrong. Chelsea Green's a phenomenal star. But your winner that pinned every single person in that match was Sonya Deville with her new, I guess, finishing move, the knee to the face. Uh, kind of like uh, Daniel Bryan's move. I, <laughs> just it, it definitely shocked me. I, I definitely didn't, uh, didn't plan on seeing that happen. Anyways, your thoughts on that gauntlet, Mac?
0: <sighs> I, I didn't like a Kentucky guy. I really didn't. Um, once again, no disrespect to Chelsea Green because she's the star of that team. I'm, I'm kind of tired of Sonya Deville at this point. Um, literally, the only reason they won this gauntlet, if you look at it, is because they needed a heel tag team to challenge Raquel Rodriguez and Liv Morgan. So basically, they took all these makeshift teams, except for Caden Carter and Katana Chance, who have looked pretty good, actually, since they debuted on the roster. Um, they didn't win here, but they've looked pretty good in the ring, because they've been a, an established tag team. Um, also, do they think that WWE fans have amnesia? Don't you remember when Dana Brooke first came into NXT? She and Emma were a tag team. They were best buddies. Why not put them back together? They're both not doing anything of note right now. No, they just randomly pair up Emma and Nikki Cross and Tegan Knox and Dana Brooke. Makes no sense at all. Um, yeah, I mean, I really don't have a lot to say about this. Uh, good for Chelsea Green, but that's probably about the only one who looked good here.
1: But, you know, going back to your amnesia statement, how, I mean, how do you have two wrestlers who lose... Every single week, every single week, and they've had multiple title shots and one uh, number one contender shots and what have you, and they lose every single week, and then they're going to suddenly become great and be four
0: teams in one match. I mean, come on. If I had to guess, Kentucky guy, and if the rumors behind the scenes are to be true, or are to be believed. I think this was a Vince McMahon call, not a Triple H call.
1: Would not doubt it whatsoever. And then we had Alpha Academy, which consisted of uh, it was an intergender match: uh, Chad Gable, Otis, and Maxine Dupree. By the way, found out something very interesting uh, this week: Maxine Dupree is actually in real life L.A. Knight's sister. Did you know that? Did not know that. Yes, that is his baby sister. Uh, actually, they went against the Viking Raiders, which is Eric Ivar and Valhalla. And actually, Dupree landed a sunset flip on Valhalla and actually won. Yeah, Viking Raiders lose again. That's uh, about all I got to say about that. I'm, uh, I complain about it every week. I'm, I'm, I'm done complaining. Uh, Ricochet did challenge Logan Paul to meet him face-to-face next week, next Raw in the ring. Not Very sure why. But uh, anyways, your thought on that match in that segment.
0: Well, I'll give it to Maxine Dupree for showing off a couple of impressive moves. I mean, I know she's still very young and doesn't have a lot of in ring experience. This was really her first taste of it, but uh, you know, kudos to her for looking pretty looking pretty decent. Um, Alpha Academy's clearly over with the audience right now, so that's why they're being booked to win. It is a shame. It's at the expense of the Viking Raiders, but Alpha Academy have the crowd behind them more right now, unfortunately. Um, Well, unfortunately, if you look at it that way, if you look at it that way. Um, As far as Ricochet and Logan Paul, I feel like ever since the two of them had that big, um, you know, spot in the Royal Rumble this year, they've kind of been on a collision course, like they were going to wrestle each other at some point. And don't forget, they had that that Well, that that crazy moment in the um, Money in the Bank ladder match where they were trying to execute that Spanish fly and go through the table with kind of a rough landing. So I guess that's kind of forming the... That's the crux of this whole feud between the two of them. I mean, good for Ricochet if he gets on the SummerSlam card. That's all I'm going to say. He's a talent who we always say is underused. So, well, why not put him in a match against Logan Paul?
1: Yeah, here's the thing. First of all, I got one question for you and then a
0: comment on that.
1: Uh, Who's the better team? Alpha Academy or Viking Raiders?
0: I would argue that the Viking Raiders get the edge there. Thank you. And then
1: Ricochet. Here's my problem with Ricochet and Logan Paul. Ricochet is a much better wrestler. I think we could both agree on that and Logan Paul. Much better. Ricochet is going to put Logan Paul over. Logan Paul has lost a lot here lately in the pay-per-views. And this is their way of putting him over. And I think it's tough. Women's World Championship was on the line. Rhea Ripley faced Natalya. They actually finally had a match. No beatdown before the match. Uh, Ripley did retain her title. uh, Did the riptide. However, she was getting ready to do kind of a beatdown, I guess, uh, to Natalya after the match, and none other than Liv Morgan and Raquel Rodriguez shows up to save Natalya. Uh, and then the last match on the card was Matt Riddle. He defeated, uh, oh, Matt Riddle won via pinfall, wow, on television. He defeated Giovanni Vinci. Um, didn't really care about the match, didn't mean anything to me, but yeah. Your thoughts, sir, on those two?
0: Yeah, I mean, the Matt Riddle match, I I assumed he was going to win this match because, you know, Vinci is more of a tag team wrestler, um, and Riddle's kind of, you know, when he's not a singles wrestler, he's the third wheel for uh, Sami Zayn and uh, Kevin Owens. Um, does this potentially mean he's going to be involved in the Intercontinental title match at SummerSlam now, because if he's... Still wrestling Günther's uh, underlings, that leads me to believe he's going to get another shot at the Intercontinental Title. I don't know what it means, um, but I will say I liked the Ripley and Natalya match. I would actually go so far as say this was probably match of the night on Raw. I'm glad they finally had Natalya put up a real fight, like she should be, like she should be doing. But of course, of course, Mammy Rhea Ripley won this match as it should be. She's still the number one female wrestler in WWE right now, so keep putting her over is what I say.
1: Yep. Now I am going to we're going to talk about uh I want to get the SmackDown, but I don't want to completely skip over Dynamite because there were some interesting things that happened on Dynamite, but I'm not we're not going to go over every single match. Uh like the claim versus the blade and the Bollywood voice. Who cares? However, Don Callis came out when Chris Jericho was cutting a promo and he came to the ring and he actually offered Chris Jericho a spot in his family. And Jericho, towing with the idea of recreating himself one last time, responded and said, he didn't say no. He said maybe. That was interesting. And Sammy Guevara and... Garcia, later in the match, asked him, they're like, dude, you said maybe. And he's like, you know, you've got to worry about yourself and what have you. That could be very, very interesting if he goes down that road. Because we already know that uh, the one guy from New Japan Pro Wrestling is, on, is in this family. And you add Chris Jericho, you know, he said he was going to build an amazing faction of people he trusts. This could be something. Could be something. Uh, what did you think about that segment?
0: It was interesting, I'll say that much. And, you know, whenever Chris Jericho says he's going to remake himself again, it always piques my interest, because Chris Jericho's one of those guys, that's how he's had a 20-plus year career, because he keeps reinventing himself every every so often. I mean, he could have taken the easy route in his career. He could have remained Lionheart, or the conspiracy victim, or Y2J, or, uh, you know, the the master of the list. But no, he keeps reinventing himself, and that he keeps it fresh, and that's why Chris Jericho has had such a long career, so I don't think it's a bad prospect of a story. I mean, honestly, I feel like the Jericho Appreciation Society storyline is starting to run its course, so I wouldn't be opposed if they go in this direction, honestly.
1: I think that's the worst faction he's had, this appreciation society. I just, I just, I, those two guys, those two knuckleheads, (laughs) I just, I don't know. And then one other thing I wanted to talk about, only one other thing on Dynamite, and that was you had Adam Cole and uh, MJF who were paired up as tag team partners. They faced the Butch and Daddy Magic, which is one of those guys from I'm talking about from that uh, society. Uh, they were victorious. Here's the thing, man. These guys did so good. was so funny. I want these guys to stay. I want them to win it all. I want them to be tag team champions. I want these guys to stay a tag team. I know Adam Cole is going after the world title. I know that's coming, but this was, this was great. This was, I laughed more during and after that match than I have at a wrestling match in a long time. I thought it was
0: great. What was your thoughts? You know, I was very... It, you notice that basically this Blind Eliminator tournament is like the old WCW Battle Bowl series. Remember when they did Battle Bowl in the early 90s? Yep, 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 yep. Yeah, that's, ex- that's exactly what this is. So, um, this segment was a lot better, or match I should say, was a lot better than I expected it to be. I really rolled my eyes initially when they paired these two up in the Blind Eliminator tournament. Um, which how many tournaments does AEW need to have going on simultaneously? It is what it is. But um, yeah, I mean, MJF and Adam Cole are great performers one way or another. So if anyone's going to pull it off, it's going to be the two of them. So I'm glad that they advanced in this tournament. Whether they win the whole thing or not, that's hard to say. I think I have to see how the, how the talent pool sort of uh, continues to build up. But I would definitely have to say, looking at who advanced so far, they're probably one of the favorite teams to win the blind eliminator tournament.
1: And I'm okay with that. So let's move on to SmackDown. A lot unpacked on SmackDown. So Smackdown started off with the trial of the tribal sheet. The trial of Roman Reigns. The Usos, as we know, defeated Roman Reigns and Solo Sequoia and Money in the Bank. This past weekend, the first time that Reigns had been pinned in three and a half years. What was perceived as the fall of Reigns' empire instead spurred the most ruthless, vindictive version of Reigns to date. Paul Heyman, after Friday's main event match, informed Reigns that Jey Uso had returned to the arena and was hunting him down, hunting down the head of the table. Reigns told the world. And he would be waiting for Jey Uso in the ring. Now, here's what happened. So the trial of Roman's Reigns started. And basically, well, Roman kind of fooled everybody. Uh, I didn't think he was really doing it. But he was handing over the head of the table to Jey Uso. And he did a low blow on him. <laughs> and took his uh, thing back. Now, Solo hesitated. I didn't know what was going to happen there. I was more more stunned by Solo than Jay. Like I knew Roman Reigns wasn't going to give it to Jay, but I didn't really know what Solo was going to do there for a moment. Anyways, Jimmy Uso actually got injured and went to the hospital uh, after this beatdown. After the beatdown, and this is all to set up SummerSlam, by the way, folks, Jay Uso came back from the hospital He entered through the crowd, flung himself over the barricade, and laid right into Solo. He cracked Reigns with a steel chair to the ribs and back. Uh, Solo did snatch the chair from Jay, uh, but ate a super kick for his efforts. Reigns fled to the stage, uh, leaving Solo to absorb the uh, chair shot from Jay Uso. Smackdown closed with Jay Uso holding Reigns' world title, calling for a one-on-one match. Jey Uso promised to be Reigns judge, jury, and uh, executioner. So, that's how we get the one-on-one that everybody's been speculating for SummerSlam. Jey Uso doesn't have a prayer of taking that title, but part of the story, and I'm here for it. Your thoughts on that opening segment of SmackDown? Yeah, just so much to unpack. Uh,
0: I mean, emotions were running high. We didn't quite know what was going to happen next, what Solo was going to do, what Roman was going to do, what Jay was going to do. And then you have the added wrinkle of Jimmy's injury, storyline injury, I should say. Um, I mean, it's definitely going to be an emotionally charged match when these two face off against each other. I am with you, Kentucky guy. Um, My big thing about you know, people who are hoping that Jay is going to beat Roman for the Universal title, you know, the problem is hypothetically, if it were to happen, how long could you see Jay holding the title? I mean, this is no disrespect to him as a performer, it's just, he's always been a tag team wrestler, that's what he's always going to be, and I mean, he's just, he's not going to be the guy to unseat the Tribal Chief. I'm sure it's going to be a great match. Um, There's going to be a lot of close calls, but Roman's not going to lose the belt at SummerSlam. But the drama of the bloodline continues to be interesting and continues to pull us in each and every week.
1: Yep. Then we had the United States Championship on the line, Austin Theory versus Sheamus. Uh, Austin Theory actually won the match with a schoolboy roll-up pinfall. This was, it was, you know, I actually thought that Sheamus might have won this match and won the title because... There was so much speculation about it before this match. Everybody was saying this was the night, like all the dirt sheets were saying, Austin Theory is going to lose. And they almost convinced me because Sheamus looked very strong in the match. AJ Styles answered Karrion Kross's challenge. And with a phenomenal forearm, pinned Karrion Kross in the middle of the ring. So here we go once again. Karrion Kross, I want to call you out. Be all scary and stuff. Me and my old lady. And then I'm going to get beat. The next week after I call you out. I don't get it. I don't. I don't. I don't What are you doing with this guy? Triple H. I don't. I don't get it. I, I just. I'm lost. I don't understand. And then I'll comment on one other thing here. And then we'll. Uh, turn it over to you. Asuka. She actually avoided a brawl. There was a ball that broke out. Between Charlotte Flair. Bianca Belair. And the Money in the Bank winner, E.O. Sky. No segment with E.O. Sky and Bailey this week, uh, which was kind of surprising because there's a lot happened during Money in the Bank that we talked about between those two. So uh, yeah, you don't just walk away from something like this. You know, let's uh let's continue the storyline, let's break up or let's make up, let's do something. And then uh, you know, we had Edge was on the Grayson Waller effect ended up having a match, and uh, Edge won, of course. But, anyways, your thoughts on those uh, those couple matches?
0: Yeah, again, a lot a lot went down on SmackDown. I mean, the biggest, the only issue I really have with the Bloodline storyline is because it takes up so much screen time. Not all these matches had had the amount of time they really needed to kind of breathe. Um, I think WWE has basically given up on Karrion and Cross at this point. It's really unfortunate, and, you know, obviously I love and respect AJ Styles, but I've said it a million times, he has won enough championships in his career, he's at a point in his career where he should be putting people over now, and it's not going to be a blemish on his WWE career, he absolutely should have put Karrion Cross over here, I don't know whose call it was, but they're just not committing to this guy, unfortunately, um... You know, uh, you know, and I would if it were me, but I'm not the guy making the creative decisions, so it is what it is. Um, Sheamus and Austin theory at a good match. Sheamus, of course, falls victim to the deadliest move in in, in wrestling history the the schoolboy roll up. I just I just hate when somebody wins a match with that move unless it's unless it's done to like further a storyline. Um, so it'd be interesting to see if Sheamus gets another shot at the U.S. title because I think he's got more in him personally the women's segment was okay. I mean, Io Sky is the money in the bank title holder, and you just never know, um, sorry, briefcase holder, and you just never know when she could cash that in. But, uh, I, I mean, I'm there for a feud between her and Asuka. I just, I, I just want to say that. I'm, You know, if anything, this triple threat match, I feel I feel you should just make it a four-way. Just put Io Sky, Io Sky in the match. She doesn't even need to use her briefcase. Just I mean, just put her in the match to make it more interesting. Um, to keep the crowd guessing. And then, uh, it was good to finally see Grayson Waller in the ring on SmackDown. I'm not surprised that he lost to Edge because it was an episode of SmackDown. I think if this had been a pay-per-view match, Grayson Waller would have been going over. Um, and who knows, this might not even be the end of this. It might not be a one-and-done thing between him and Edge. I would certainly not like for it to be. But, um... Yeah. Uh, and you know what, actually, the one other thing I want to say about this Kentucky guy, speaking of Edge, do you feel, and, uh, you know, maybe it's just me, but do you feel he's kind of gotten to that point in his career now where when they put him in matches, whether it's pay per view matches or, well, pay per view matches, I'll say primarily, they always end up being a little bit longer than they need to be? He's kind of reached like that segment in his career where, uh, like Triple H did. He would always get a match at WrestleMania and it would go 20 or 25 minutes and it didn't need to. And they're kind of doing that with Edge now. I feel like be because of his legend status.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a respect thing. Yeah, he, he's he's there uh he's earned it too. Uh but yeah, we see with Shawn Michaels also back when he was still coming in. Uh it's a it's a respect thing and uh I'm okay with that. So We are really out of time, but I do want to do at least one headline. Uh, Have you do one and I'll do one. I'll do one real quick because it caught me off guard. So I'm going to do my headline first. Uh, We're going to switch it up a little bit because uh, I was wondering if you've seen this or uh, this, this caught me off guard. Here we go. WWE hints at Bray Wyatt returning as the fiend. Bray Wyatt has disappeared from WWE programming once again. The Eater of Worlds had had only just returned to the company this past fall, emerging as the man behind the cryptic White Rabbit, teases on Monday Night Raw and WWE SmackDown. Wyatt would then address the WWE audience as a babyface for the first time in his career and was seemingly being uh, positioned as a top good guy on the blue brand moving forward. Things turned sideways when Wyatt's slow burn feud, very slow burn, feud with the mysterious Uncle Howdy, became something without any resolution after five straight months of vague monologues. Wyatt was then scheduled to meet Bobby Lashley at WWE WrestleMania 39, but an ill-timed illness prevented him from competing and the match was called off altogether. While there have been no direct teases on WWE TV regarding White's comeback and update on WWE.com's roster page seems to suggest he could be back sometime soon under a familiar gimmick. White's profile picture has been replaced by the image of The Fiend, and his bio includes a detailed history of his demonic alter-eagle. And you can read it uh, on WWE.com. I I went and seen it. Uh, Quote, the superstar known as the Fiend seemed seemed to have stepped out of the collective population's nightmares and into our reality. That's part of what it says in the bio. Uh, The superstar known as Bray Wyatt, however, was seemingly more, much more lighthearted and regular, welcomed his fireflies in the uh, WWE universe to his firefly funhouse. His friends, Mercy the Buzzard, Abby the Witch, Rambling Rabbit. Husky the big, big boy, were right there with him every step of the way, as he taught the WWE universe value less valuable lessons about sharing, friendship, and occasionally much more diabolical things. In the dark recesses of Wyatt's mind, he always seemed to be lurking, and the fiend terrorized everyone in his sight since emerging in July 2019, all the way to capturing the Universal Championship on two separate occasions against. Uh, opponents like Seth Rollins and Braun Strowman. It's worth noting that there's no mention of Uncle Howdy in this bio whatsoever. Rumors had swirled recently that WWE wanted White to bring back the Fiend persona. Collaborator Jason Baker shut down that possibility by noting that all of the Fiend's masks were destroyed last year. However, we know it's always possible that new masks could somehow be created. That Man, I hope that's not a puff, a puff rumor. I, I I hope that's real. Man, you bring the fiend back, and every bad thought and every bad thing I've said about this latest Bray Wyatt return, I take it back. I take it back. <laughs> uh, your thoughts on that
0: rumor, on that uh, headline, Kentucky guy. If it's true, then kudos to WWE for for finally sitting down with them, or, or whatever happened and saying, look, man, we got to go back to what works. we got to go back to what the people want to see, and they want to see The Fiend. It was the most popular uh, stage of his career, the best character he portrayed. In my opinion, it did for Bray Wyatt's career what Mankind did for Mick Foley's career. I mean, Uh, just think about it. Agreed. So why you would not bring The Fiend back is beyond me. And I understand Bray Wyatt's got all these, you know, crazy ideas. I've said before he's a very creative guy. But sometimes you just got to say, you know what, if it's not broke, don't fix it. And with the right booking, The Fiend could once again be a great addition to WWE programming. So I say bring him back if it's actually going to happen. Yep, yep, me too. Uh,
1: And go ahead and hit a headline out for us, sir.
0: Alright, so, Drew McIntyre. The WWE Intercontinental title is where it should be. Drew McIntyre recently made his return to WWE TV at the Money in the Bank to confront Inter- Intercontinental Champion Gunther to set up their SummerSlam match next month. We all know that the former WWE Champion had been away from WWE because he this was due to an injury after WrestleMania 39 where he worked a triple threat match with Gunther and Sheamus. At the same time, he was frustrated with the lack of creative vision for him on television and being far apart on money in talks for a new contract with WWE. Now, McIntyre's current deal is believed to be expiring in early 2024. Now, while appearing on an episode of WWE's The Bump, McIntyre talked about the Mania match and said it's one of his favorite matches. In addition to the prestige, Gunther has brought to the Intercontinental title. Now he uh, said on Gunther's IC title reign, yeah, he certainly raised the prestige 100%. The Intercontinental Championship is where it should be and where it used to be when I was growing up. And I can't remember it being at this level for a long time. When I won it in 09, we still had such prestige and somewhere along the way it kind of slipped. We don't need to get into the ins and outs of why that happened, but I've watched Gunther's development since I saw him when I was outside of WWE the first time I saw him in Germany. That guy's got something. He's found himself. He's got himself in the best shape of his life. He, uh, he's been on a tear over the past year. You know, if, if his lads might get involved and whenever he is in trouble, I'll deal with that, but you can't take away from him what he has achieved and what he's done for that title. I think this is going to be an exciting time for Raw overall. And he's absolutely right. Gunther is, in my opinion, the best Intercontinental Champion WWE's had in several years. And I'm looking forward to the two of them facing each other at SummerSlam. It's going to be a physical bout. I personally do not believe this is going to be the time where Gunther drops the belt. I still feel like it's going to be to someone you're not expecting... Um, I, I just, I just don't feel like, you know, unless WWE feels this is the best way to keep Drew McIntyre in the company is to offer him the intercontinental title. Now that it has a lot more prestige, but I don't know. Uh, my, my gut's telling me it's not, it's not yet over for the ring general as far as his, uh, intercontinental title reign.
1: Drew McIntyre. No way. That's not, that's not the guy. Remember something. Gunther hasn't been pinned in singles competition. Since he's been on the main roster. you think Drew McIntyre is going to be that guy? No way. I tell you who I think is going to be the guy. Uh, I think and you're right. It's going to shock the world. I think L.A. Knight may be the guy. Down the road. That takes that title. Just throwing that out there. But uh, that's all I've got for this episode. Sir, what what say you?
0: All oh, for me, Kentucky guy.
1: Alright folks, so you've been listening to Against the Mat wrestling podcast with your co-host is Kentucky Guy and Donnie Cage folks thank you so much for listening and as always God bless and God bless America thank you all <laughs>